0: Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman, and my pronouns are she and her. On today, we have Dr. Wade, who does an amazing job of exploring what it might mean to queer the maths classroom. On this episode, you'll hear Dr. Wade reference the work that she does, and I just want to let you know right at the top of the episode that in the show notes, you can find the link to her website as well as the link to her Twitter handle. If you're not following Dr. Wade already, you are going to want to head over to Twitter and make sure that you do enjoy our conversation.
1: So I am Brandi Wade. And I am currently working as an independent math coach and activist scholar. Um, I'm working out of a I've co-founded a professional institute for teachers in, in the New Jersey area. So it's open to other teachers as well because we have online services um, called the Radical Pedagogy Institute. And then I'm also the founder of the Sensual Thing, my own consulting coaching business, which I call the queer mathematics teacher. Um, and my Twitter handle is, uh, math teach underscore B E W.
0: And listeners, you know, again, uh, we're going to make sure that we link to Dr. Wade's Twitter handle as well as the (laughs) websites. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that's actually uh, where I'd like, I'd love to start our conversation uh, because your your website does list the various different coaching services that you offer. And you have this great quote um, on, on that site. So bear with me while I read back to you something that um, is on your site. You say, the ability to consider sexuality irrelevant in the mathematics context is a heteronormatively privileged position. For queer students, their queerness, indeed otherness, is intersectional across social contexts." And that's from Christopher Dubs. Um, And I'm wondering, uh, you know, obviously, you've included that quote on your site underneath those coaching services. Can you talk a little bit more about why you pulled that quote out and what it's come to mean to you in the work that you do?
1: Yeah. Um, So all of the pages on my site have quotes from people either in math education or um, in the field of education, and in in some cases, mathematicians themselves. Um, that sort of capture uh, queer identity and what it means to be queer in mathematics. Um, And this one in particular really stood out to me um, because it it kind of speaks to my own journey of coming out and how my own coming out experience uh, and you know, me coming into my own queer identity really impacted my mathematical identity. Um, I feel like they have grown together um, in ways that I never really would have thought of before. So growing up, I always felt like I was kind of navigating waters that I didn't really understand in relation to gender and sexuality. I didn't understand why My brother couldn't play with dolls and I couldn't play baseball all the time, you know, those sorts of things. Um, And I didn't understand, like, why my really close friendship with females was considered weird. Um, So, like, there was always that kind of tension, but math always felt safe uh, because, you know, the way math was taught to me in my schooling was that, like, you the teacher shows you what to do and if you Mm. follow those directions like it's fine you'll be fine you'll do well um and you know while that did feel safe in many ways um whenever I was younger as I got into higher level mathematics that actually really got me in trouble um because I started to feel this really this really deep anxiety Um, anytime something that was non-procedural came up and anytime I was asked to engage in problem solving or anytime that like I encountered this fear of like not looking quote unquote smart, um, this, this fear came up in me and it wasn't until I really came into my queer identity that I was really able to start questioning some of that in mathematics and really just like felt free. Um, And like, if I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Who cares? (laughs) um, And if if this path is going down a weird windy way, also who cares? Um, And I think, I think if I had been able to come to that uh, kind of understanding of mathematics at a younger age, if I had been able to see that a little bit more, I might have been able to see myself in it in a way that I didn't when I was younger. Um, so maybe it would have you know helped me to come out sooner or feel you know safer or seen in, in the mathematics.
0: Oh you know that's so interesting because you know my experience has been we don't always necessarily you know see the maths classroom as a space to be exploring LGBTQ plus identities. Um, You know, my first role in education was as a a literature teacher, and I feel like there's always, there's almost the stereotype about like the gay lit teacher, you know, and that that's, that is a space because, you know, we can so easily be digging into narratives and questioning, you know, why are certain authors thought of as the genius? And then, you know, there's this other subset that maybe you'll come across and what you were saying about, you know, problem solving and almost having a, a capacity to be comfortable with quote unquote, getting it wrong. Like that's just such an interesting link with actually, you know, having kind of like a queer mindset is to mm-hmm. your advantage if you're truly going to, you know, fall in love with math and, um, you know, and, and enjoy just playing around with, with problems. Um, so Dr. Wade, I know that this summer you're offering a range of PD opportunities, uh, including a camp for students. And again, listeners, I'll be sure to link to uh, that Twitter handle because it's just, it's amazing to follow along with all of the different opportunities that you're sharing. So I'm hoping that you might tell us more about what's happening with those sessions, um, and how schools might be able to sort of reach out to you, even if they can't take advantage of the opportunity this summer, uh, but maybe they'd want to tap into your expertise and kind of replicate what you're offering this summer later later on in the year. Um, so sorry, that was like 14 questions in one, but tell us a little bit more about <laughs> what's happening this summer. Um, and for, for school leaders who might be listening and thinking, ah, you know, we don't have time to do that right now, but um, I would love to do that later on in the year. How might they... Uh, reach out to you and and figure out how to bring opportunities like those to their campus?
1: Yeah, um, we're really excited about the uh, camp. We're calling it the camp of mathematical query. Um, Getting that little pun in there. Um, uh, So the camp itself is for queer students that are entering grades nine through 12. Um, Originally, I kind of, conceptualized that it would be open to students in the United States and Canada, because that's kind of just what I knew my Twitter following to be. Um, But we have had kids, we have one kid from India that applied, we have one kid from Germany, I have no idea how they heard about the camp, but it's really cool that we're getting, you know, um, a broad range of applications. Um, But the idea is to So I actually, this was actually inspired by um, the work. Uh, I had been thinking about, you know, doing something fun and queer in math and what could that look like. And then um, Shay Martin and Cody Miller did the Love and Literacy um, group at the start of the pandemic. And I was paying attention to that. And I thought um, that's a really good idea to have a virtual space because it won't like, not everyone has a Pride Center. Not everyone has, you know, that connect. Not everyone's out. Um, so, uh, so this was supposed to be a space for um, queer high school students to be able to sign up and come to whether or not they're out. Um, you, they don't need parental consent to join the camp. Um, it is a problem posing camp. We're calling it a problem posing enrichment Um, where we're just going to look at different elements of queer culture uh, and do pose mathematical problems related to them. So one example that I've been giving people is um, we might watch, I've been watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, And so in the earlier seasons, the winners were offered a um, lifetime supply of makeup and now in later seasons, it's a year's supply of makeup, but, like, the math, what kind of mathematical questions could we ask about that? Like, what is, what is a, how do they calculate that? And, like, is it an average person? Are they actually taking the lifetime, like, supply of a drag queen? How much makeup does a drag queen use, um, as compared to the, you know, regular person? Um, so those are all, like, fun and interesting questions that the kids might pose and want to explore. So I'm going to let the kids is really going to become whatever they want it to be. Um, and we'll have questions based on that. Um, and then we also have, which I'm super excited about because it's finally confirmed. Um, there was a drag queen on Canada's drag race, uh, who goes by the handle online time. And Kine is a mathematics communicator by day and makes mathematics TikTok videos in drag um, mm. that are very popular. So uh, Kine will be joining us for one of our sessions to talk to the kids and to um, talk about, you know, the experience of doing drag and doing the show, and then also give the kids some problems that they find interesting um, and uh, talk about ways that you know, kind would go about solving them and other things as well.
0: So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, you said you were looking to do something fun and queer, and I feel like check and check, like definitely it (laughs) sounds like it is going to be uh, both of those things. Uh, And, you know, again, I know that you offer services to schools. So anybody that's listening and thinking, right. Yes. When we talk about making sure that we've got an LGBTQ plus inclusive curriculum. And we're thinking about it not as, you know, don't put it in a a silo and don't say like, oh, it's just for Pride Month or, you know, it's just going to be that one week in that humanities class, but it has to be integrated throughout the whole curriculum. Um, You you know, I, I love that it's just looking at some examples of, you know, problems that we pose to students, so for for a you know a head of a math department or a school principal who is thinking we need to get dr. Wade into our or into our school um, what, what are some of the ways that schools can reach out to you and, and do you want to talk a little bit more about kind of the range or the menu that you offer to schools
1: yeah sure um, so the ways that schools can get in touch with me is through my website um, which is the um, and my email is, I believe, at the bottom of each page of the website, so they can reach out uh, that way, or there is an actual contact form as well, um, and, or they could get in contact with me through the Radical Pedagogy Institute website, which is radicalpedagogyinstitute.com, super creative names, I know, um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, through there, uh, I, we, Lee and I both have um Dr. Leah Owens is also the co-founder, and I both have Radical Pedagogy emails. So for that, I believe it's v.waid, W-A-I-D, at RadicalPedagogyInstitute.com. So those are two ways that people can get in touch. As far as kind of the range of offerings, um, there's a number of things we're doing uh, through Radical Pedagogy this summer um we're offering a summer collaborative that just kicked off today and was really great um that's going to run over a course of seven weeks and during those seven weeks i will be talking about um i'll be doing one of the sessions which is uh challenging uh heteronormativity and gender normativity in schools and communities um with you know a mathematical lens and each of the sessions as well i will be bringing my lens of like okay, it's anti-racist education, how do we also include this queer lens to it? Okay, this is, you know, um, disability, critical race theory, how do we also think about uh, taking a queer lens to that as well? So we're very lucky that all of our presenters have a range of um, kind of expertise, and we're able to fit them together so that participants can kind of get that intersectional uh, view. Um, So that's what's happening this summer, and then in the fall, I'm hoping to, through my website, the Queer Mathematics Teacher, to hold um, a series, a PD series, particularly for math teachers, so that I can, like, we can talk about what happened in the camp, and the things that worked well, and the things that maybe need to be improved for next year, um, and so forth, Um, so that's the plan for that so far. I don't only focus on problem posing, which is which is what the camp is kind of doing here because I do know math teachers in particular are like, well, I can't always, like I have curriculum to cover. So what do I do? Um, so I do try to offer kind of that range that you're talking about where the first, first one is like, okay, where are these heteronormative structures? And like, how do we disrupt them? Um, which might mean, you know, doing more inclusive problems, um, word problems, rather than seeing, like I did an audit of engaged New York problems um, for a couple of grades and there were, there were absolutely no queer representation for a state that like likes to say it's very you know, liberal. There was no qu- queer families, there was no use of the word or use of the pronoun they, um, and there were very gendered examples like, boys were definitely playing with trucks or mm-hmm. men or on you know do building things one of the problems said which was really terrible it was it did have a woman like building something but it said she had to borrow tools it's like oh. why she borrow tools <laughs> um, so like there's these very gender things that still pop up in curriculum and curricular items so we look at that um we go from that all the way to the range of problem posing. Um, And then a friend and I are also even offering a mini course with Mass for America this fall, where we're thinking more broadly about queer pedagogy and not necessarily like not just looking at queer pedagogy through the lens of LGBTQ plus identity. It definitely is gonna relate to that towards the end of our discussion, but we're thinking of um, geometry and geometric proof and how that is a very normative structure. And how do we disrupt that so that kids can be more creative and feel more of an affinity to geometry, which I, so many people, even math teachers, like will say, I don't want to teach geometry. That's the one class I don't want to teach, Hmm.
0: (laughs) so um, yeah. It's really interesting because, you know, you're making me think about how in many ways curriculum does mirror, you know, societal norms. And the examples that you have about the woman who had to borrow tools, uh, you know, I'll never forget, I was in a, you know, a big box store with my wife, and we had moved here, it was about a year ago. And so, you know, we were buying the stuff that you need to have in a home, and we couldn't find the hammers. And so my wife stopped somebody that worked in the store and just said, you know, can you point me to... Where like where's the aisle with hammers? And he turned to her and he said, "You mean you're looking for like a lady hammer?" And we were like, "Um, uh, just a hammer, I guess." But you know, it was it was really interesting. And and um, she did sort of explain, exist? "It doesn't exist." So you know, <laughs> my my wife did ask that question, um, and then you know, very uh, diplomatically, sort of explained, you know, how how his question was was sexist. And so, um, but, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, he most likely grew up in a mathematics curriculum where, yes, like, you know, never came across a problem where, you know, women were building or using tools. So I, I just think it's really interesting to think of the way that curriculum, even in seeing, you know, the very gendered Uh, word problems that certainly I grew up with. Uh, And I I worked with a maths teacher who he actually put together a really cool project where he had his students do an audit similar, I'm thinking, to what you explained, where let's just go through the textbook. We're going to work on our data literacy by looking for, you know, again, um, just some of the ways that the language is heavily gendered uh, and, and really who's centered just in the math curriculum. And, and you know, I mentioned, I, I feel like usually we think of it more in the humanities area. So it's just so great to see uh, math teachers like yourself saying it is all subjects where we need to be having these conversations and, and doing this questioning. So uh, Dr. Wade, you know, I'm a fellow fan of of the Marshall Memo, which is published by Kim Marshall. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of give the specifics to the issue that you were highlighted in, because of course anybody that's a fan of the Marshall memo probably has all of the, the back emails. So if you head over to issue 803, and that's from November of 2020, you'll find some of Dr. Wade's work. Um, and I'm wondering if you might just explain to us a little bit the work that you shared uh, in that issue. You've specifically got this great anecdote that you that you shared. So for folks who are not subscribers of the, the Marshall memo, you'll, you'll kind of get some some free Marshall Memo content here Uh, and for folks who are, but need to have their memories jogged. uh, Can you just kind of give us a recap on what you shared in that issue?
1: Yeah, um, I was actually, I hadn't heard of the Marshall Memo before Um, he reached out and said, hey, do you wanna, um, I'm gonna feature you. uh, Would you like to provide any more information? And I was like, oh wow, that's cool. Um, So that was really exciting uh, and also really, it wasn't just exciting because like it was being featured, but it was exciting that someone saw value in this, in the math world, which I feel like like you're talking about is often overlooked. Um, so that was really touching and exciting for me. Um, but the specific piece that was highlighted was an article that I um, wrote, and that came out in the November issue of the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, um, teacher journal, which is called Mathematics Teacher Learning and Teaching PK to 12. Um, and basically the article just describes a number of ways that uh, math teachers across you know, the grade levels PK to 12 could better support LGBTQ plus students in the classroom. And a lot of the things that I um, talk about in the article are similar to what we were talking about previously about the range, like doing the classroom audit, um, knowing your state laws, which is really important. like do you live in a no promo homo state? If not, like how like how far, you know can you take it um, without also losing your job if you're in one of those situations? Um, so it talks, the article talks about that. it talks, and then it talks about two methods of supporting students in uh, LGBTQ plus students in math classes. And the first is, more of an inclusive approach, which um, there's a scholar, uh, Kai Rand, that talks uh, about these two approaches. So this is me taking their work and uh, building on it. But the first one they call add queers and stir, which is the inclusive (laughs) version um, where you're just kind of peppering in problems that include queer representation. Um, but really, like, there's no way where you'll capture every identity when you do that. Because if you're thinking about intersectionality, like, usually what happens is we get, you know, queer white people um, mm-hmm. in problems. So, or queer white men and um, gay white men. So, thinking about kind of that in a more nuanced way is difficult when you're using an ad cruise and stir approach. Um, and then, uh, the and then, but I did like develop a task for that method, which looked at um, Daniel Quizar's Progress Pride flag, and looked at it was for elementary students to explore the symmetry of the flag mm-hmm. um, and look at it as, you know, a representation of identity and how changing colors might change meaning. Um, and that example is actually being fleshed out a little bit, and it will be available on NCTM's uh, website, Illuminations, at the end of July or early August, um, for people to use as a less in-lesson in lesson plan format. So that's going to be posted soon. And then the other method was using queer pedagogy, which Rams calls uh, specifically for mathematics, mathematical inquiry. Um, and so I talk about, you know. ways that you could do this and this is where this anecdote comes in because at the beginning of the article which is what uh was highlighted in the marshall memo i had started with this little vignette of um from when i was teaching eighth graders and i i gave a weekly problem solving um, activity to the students and they were working on their problem set and one of the problems was, it, it's a very typical problem that's used in mathematics. And it's like, you're at a school dance, you have X number of boys, Z number of girls, more boys than girls. How many couples, possible couples are there for dancing? Um, and one of the students, one of the eighth graders said, how do we define a couple? And then A second eighth grader, before I could say anything, Maps and said a couple is any two people and that's the only way that you should define a couple. Um, and I remember just being so shaken, shook, <laughs> um because I I had recently I had recently started my coming out journey. I was out to some of my colleagues, um I was out to my family and to my friends, but I was not out to the students. Um, So in that moment, it just created a lot of tension and anxiety in me. But it also was like, how did I assign this problem that didn't even capture my own identity? Like, I didn't even think about it um, because I was looking at the mathematics that I knew it was asking for rather than like actually thinking about, well, that mathematics doesn't reflect the world. So, like, um, which is why students get this idea that mathematics is not useful. Like, there, if you give them a problem that, you know, Becky goes to the store and buys a hundred watermelons, nobody does that. <laughs> so, um, it like seems it presents this idea that mathematics only lives in this math in this imaginary realm. Um, so that student, I, I like to say that that student changed my life. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that really set me on a journey to be like, okay, um, where else am I not seeing these blind spots? Um, and how do I fix that? Uh, so that's when I started thinking about, um, doing some research on queer pedagogy and what, what does that look like? And how do I just consistently go through and, question like what what kind of norms am I taking for granted here what am I not thinking of who am I not thinking of um those sorts of things and I I'm definitely still on that journey there's and will be for the rest of my life but that that eighth grader really rocked my world
0: <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah it's just it's such a powerful story and has me thinking you know, like, like you, I was out to family and friends before I was in my professional context. And hearing you share that story makes me realize, well, I, my hesitation probably was because, you know, the reality is the most homophobia I've seen or like the most homophobically rich environment I've ever been in was my own school experience, Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, you being on that journey and continuing to question other educators really, you know, following along and, and, and you know, joining that lifelong journey, it's so important because I do think schools are some of the most heavily gendered spaces, um, you know, certainly the most homophobic, biphobic, transphobic spaces that um, that might exist. And it's okay. great to see that that's starting to shift. Um so you know I'd love to explore some of the advocacy work that you're doing because you you are linking up with some larger organizations. I'm wondering if you can share some of the goals that you have moving forward and and thoughts that you have about um you know everything that we've discussed, you know, there are these issues, there are these problems and of course there's a call to action that that comes with acknowledging some of those issues. So can you share with us um you know what what's in the works uh, and and what do you have kind of your your aims set on?
1: yeah um i that's a great question because I am currently working with a group of educators that are just becoming we've become increasingly frustrated with the field of math education um, because we do see schooling as a very homophobic, transphobic, racist, violent space for. for for many children, um, and the mathematics classroom really is, up, even though folks like to think that that's not a place where those things are reinforced, they are 100%. I mean, if you look at mathematics, there's a reason that it's mostly white men that are in STEM. Like there is a culture being bred there that that makes it so that makes you know women people of color queer people feel like they're not welcome in this space so if we're not interrogating that then we we're just naive um Mm -hmm. and we're part of the problem we're definitely complicit so i did i recently got together with a group of educators that were feeling the same way um, and kind of what started what started this there were a few events that led up to this um kind of gathering of of educators uh, math educators Um, the first of which for me was um, last year there was a piece it was actually published before my article a couple of months before in September but I don't think I read it until November December um, because I was recovering from a concussion for a very long time for like a year and a half two years Um, prior to that so I was like out of the game um, so, but I was catching up, and I read this article. Um, it was called the condo problem, and it was it was clear that the authors of the article were trying to be supportive of the LGBTQ+ plus community, but. Sort of missed the mark in the language that they were using, and no one on the editorial board caught that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and there's there was one line in particular that really stuck out to me. I mean, they kept using the word discomfort, which really frustrated me because I was like, we often are made to feel like we're the problem, and we need to make, you know, cis straight people comfortable. so that language was already something that I was like, I don't like that. Um, but towards the end of the article, there was this line, and I can't, for the life of me, remember what it was, but it says something like, um, it was essentially saying that we all need to engage in this work, that it's important work of supporting, of engaging in culturally responsive teaching to support LGBTQ plus students, even though we might not all think it's morally correct like that those were the actual words um and so and there were other examples um of just little like obviously unintentional microaggressions um and I felt I felt a calling to write to the journal editor um and say like here are the things that concerned me about this article and these are the reasons why, like based on, I I was like, I'm only one person, but like based on the research, these are considered microaggressions. Um, And the editor was very receptive of that and said, you know, um, could you write this as a letter to the editor um, so we can publish it? And I was like, yeah, of course. So what ended up happening was it got published it, it got published in may actually it took forever um but it was in the online only version of the journal not in the print version interesting Because that's, i guess what letters to the editor uh, where they're published um and the original article was amplified through their social media platforms but the letter to the editor was not so it was like they were kind of owning up to the harm but not really like only Mm -hmm. if you're looking for it um and you know i've been in conversation i've definitely been a squeaky wheel the last few months and then like we need to send this out we need to send this out we need to and just like following up over and over again with the organization to get that fixed um we'll see what the end result ends up being but that was one instance there was another instance of um when harper keenan Dr. Harper, Keenan, and um, I forget the other two educators' names. That um, they kind of made that p- petition for Biden to in support of transgender students. Um, one of the things that Harper had mentioned when the petition was going around was to kind of call on your professional organization to have a state make a statement in support of transgender students. Um, I was like. Yeah, the, the math organizations have never made any kind of statement in support of queer people. Like they're they're one of the few fields that has never hmm. even acknowledged our existence. Hmm. Um, so I started tweeting at them, like, hey, why don't you do this? Hey, why don't you do this? Cricket. Um, so that didn't happen. Um, then this other thing had happened, and then also their the NCTM. Um, annual conference, which is in September, I believe, is going to take place in Atlanta. Um, and in Atlanta, like uh, Georgia has passed its voter suppression laws. They've also got anti-LGBTQ um, plus laws that they're considering um, or anti-trans cells that they're con- considering. Um, but there's been no statement, even though like the conference is supposed to be like from conversations to intentional actions. So like where is this intentional action in support of these communities that like you want you're saying in your statements that you care about social justice, that you want us to do equity work, like you ask people to come and do this equity work with you. And because people all have views about how mathematics is neutral or you know something like that. We get a lot of backlash from you know, conservative media outlets whenever it gets picked up. Um, we've had uh, you know people in the field, their work get picked up, and they get death threats, and they like it's just been very scary um, for some of these folks, and our organizations are not supporting us. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like you're calling on queer people, you're calling on people of color to do this work. But then whenever we get attacked for doing this work, you leave us hanging. Um, And I know no organization is perfect. And I'm not saying like that, you know, I'm gonna run to the hills and abandon this organization. But I do feel like this is the way that you support your organizations. You tell them where they're not doing, uh, you know, the best and and help them move towards that. Um, So, this group of educators and I got together and we wrote a letter, an open letter to NCTM, uh, NCSM, which is their offshoot National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, um, AMTE, which is the, uh, it's the Association of Math Teacher Educators, I believe, and then AERA, um, the American Educational Research Association. Uh, We wrote a letter to, those four, and then mathematicians started jumping in and be like, can we add AMS? Can we add, um, you know, our words Uh, Which we ended up doing, but we kept the body um, sort of uh, more focused on the education field. And we just wrote that like, you know, we understand these decisions are difficult and like you're going forward with this conference in Atlanta. There's another conference that's gonna take place in Louisiana. Um, like you're going forward with these conferences, or in the case of AM, or AERA, they made a statement that they would not do any, um, they would not, you know, have any conferences in places that were considering or that had passed, I'm not sure which one, maybe both, um, anti trans laws. And like our letter kind of said, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because when you say that, you're also hurting yeah. the trans teachers in those states because now they no longer have access to the conference so are you providing scholarships for them so that they can come like what are you what is the nuanced approach that you're taking um, in those cases so we outlined like if you're going to stay in, if you're going to keep your conference in these places here's a set of actions you can take that are more nuanced if you're going to move if you're going to you know pull out of the state and go somewhere else here's another set of actions you can take mm-hmm. that are a little more nuanced than just canceling. Um, and then we also had some other like larger action steps to attract more people of color, queer people and, and other folks that find these organizational spaces to still be violent and unsafe. Um, so we can start making it more inclusive for them when there were things like scholarships for teachers of color to, you know, Come to conferences. They've, I don't. I don't think they've ever offered something like that. Um, paying people of color and queer people that do equity research to give talks. Um, you know, founding some kind of institute. I think NCTE has something where, like the Free Speech Institute or something that supports English educators that come under attack from conservative media. Um, so like just kind of those things, like just have our back um, and support us a little bit. And then you'll, you know, start moving towards your social justice equity ideals. Um, so we sent that open letter. We did get a response actually. We we have about, I think 200 people sign the letter. Um, we got a response from the organization saying they wanted a meeting. Um, we don't feel like we should have a closed meeting with them because we, the signers, first of all, there were a couple of signers that didn't feel comfortable or uh, contributing authors that didn't feel comfortable listing their names um, mm-hmm. because of the backlash that people get. Um, but the ones the those of us that did put our names down for the contributing authors, we didn't see it like we have like I'm a queer, says woman, like I cannot speak for the experience of a transgender educator or student. Um so it's not I don't feel comfortable being that representative. And I also don't think it should be a closed meeting. So we like kind of went we sent them an email back and said, you know, we think this is a great idea. We gave you action because they also wanted um to talk about what they could do. I said we gave you concrete action mm-hmm. steps. So what we would like is for you to come up with some concrete plan of action um, and have, have an open meeting that's live streamed for, and advertised for members to attend to tell us what you're going to do. Um, we haven't heard
0: back yet, so I don't know.
1: I'm, but I'm going to keep being the squeak, squeaky wheel.
0: <laughs> um, so. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. You know, and you just have me thinking about you know, even from a literacy standpoint, how important it is that we're thinking about teaching students the art of the open letter uh, because, you know, in your example, it can have so much power. Um, And I I just, I sort of love all of the modeling. You know, we, I think schools talk a big game about the ways that we help students become more principled. You know, that's a a term that I see very often, but, you know, just in, in the actions that, that you, we're referencing, you know, thinking about the ramifications of, uh, okay, so this part of the problem might be sort of solved, but then what does that mean? Uh, you know, and, and who are we thinking and who are we not speaking for? So there's just, you know, so much in that that um, I think for schools who are thinking, sure, our, you know, our, we want our students to become more principled. Just almost walking through some of those examples as micro case studies, there's huge value in that. Uh, yeah. And and I hope that you do get that response. And um, you know, again, listeners, you can follow Dr. Wade on on Twitter for for more on that. Hopefully, coming up yeah. soon.
1: We will we will keep people updated. And I do want to acknowledge, like I do feel like I'm coming from a place of privilege in many ways. I am Latina, but I present as a white woman. Um, I, I people don't like clock me as gay. Um, so it's not usually, you know, um, something that people know, unless they know me or they visit my website or, you know, things like that, or see me with my partner. Um, I also don't have, like, I am my employer. So I recognize there are nuances to that as well. And like advocacy work can look different for different people. Um, but I also like, if someone like me is not willing to do this, then, (laughs)
0: Kind of word. <laughs> yeah, and it is sort of, you know, what is the what is the privilege there for? And, you know, I, I like that at the start of it, it really, it's kind of talking about curiosity, right? Why is something the way that it, why has that traditionally been the way that is? Um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about how it, op- it offers opportunities for action in so many ways, you know, big and small and also you know, understanding that sometimes when we mention, Hey, you know, this is maybe something you want to think more about. We don't know exponentially how much that can grow. You know, I was, um, I had to start a new file with a brand new dentist a year ago when I moved here. And so, you know, they give you the questionnaire, um, and they had a space, you know, for gender and they only listed male and female. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just asked, Hey, I'm curious, like why do you need to know that as a dentist? And then why do you just have the binary options there? And, you know, they were really great. And they said, you know, we just, that's, it's been this system for decades and nobody's ever questioned it before, but that's totally a valid question. And so sometimes just starting with, what do you, you know, what are you noticing? And sometimes it is just, I mean, that was a five minute conversation and they said, yeah, we're going to update it, done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I do think people like your example in particular shows that I feel like sometimes people think that when you're doing the sort of advocacy work here, like saying, oh, you're doing something wrong. Oh, like, mm. I don't like you or, you know, like I'm right. being difficult, but that's not what it's about. Like I can, you know, have some kind of positive feelings for my professional organization and recognize the strengths that it has for certain various aspects just like you can for your dentist but still question things like we need to get over that like kind of respectability uh you know hush -hush hushness um which is I think something that queer pedagogy has really taught me to appreciate like just just ask the question it doesn't mean anything it just is a question (laughs) um so yeah
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes you're right that almost internalized homophobia can be a big barrier in terms of like, ooh, but am I already making people uncomfortable? And it's the, we all have the permission to ask the question, Um, you know, and and I feel much more confident in that now as I've gotten older, I didn't always, um, you know, but I would also say it's sort of interesting how each time you do it, it becomes significantly easier. Yeah. Um, So thank you so much for, for sharing that example. And I look forward to, you know, just following along online and and seeing what updates come through. Um, so, you know, Dr. Wade, I, I love to sort of always ask guests what other resources either they've recently enjoyed or, you know, plan on getting to eventually, um, you know, I just, I, I hope that every, every episode of the show, every conversation can kind of really spark follow-up conversations for listeners. So do you have any, any, um, Resources that you think um, you know, listeners might want to check out if they're interested in in really anything that we've discussed so far on this episode. Um, you know, what are what are some recent favorites or or things that you you know, it's a resource that you're interested in getting to eventually.
1: Yeah, um, so something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and that has really informed my work with queer pedagogy. Um, is this idea of rehumanizing mathematics um, as a space for students? Uh, because many people experience mathematics as dehumanizing. Mm. Um, and so there is a book uh, that was, I guess it was edited by um, Imani Gothney and Rochelle Gutierrez um, called Rehumanizing Mathematics for Black, Indigenous, Indigenous, and Latinx students. Um, and like it does, Dr. Gutierrez does mention queer identities in it. Um, it's not fully developed, um, but I think it was enough for me as a jumping off point as someone who thinks about these things to be like, oh, okay, this, this could also apply in this way. Um, so that's the really, that's probably one of my biggest go-to resources, um, as of late. Uh, and then the other w- one that I just keep going back to, particularly when I work with, um, when I work with elementary teachers, cause sometimes the question comes up, like, are they too young? Like, mm-hmm. how do they know that sort of thing? Um, so I really like Diane, uh, Aronsest, I believe is how you say, say the last name, um, the books that Diane's written on uh, gender-born, gender-made is the first one. And then the other one is the gender creative child. And and some of it is more like for uh, therapists or counselors um, or even parents, but there is a lot in it that I think is really helpful for teachers as well. And like how to navigate things in your classroom. Um, so those are, those are two good
0: resources as well. That's great. Thank you. And I'll make sure to link to them both in the show notes and listeners. I should say also on Dr. Wade's website, um, you have a great page of resources. That's so well organized and and super well curated. He kind of made me realize my own website is like herding cats in comparison. So I'll be sure to link to that too, because it's just like, wow, um, you've done such a great job of just, you want to learn more. Here's a gazillion ways you can do just that. Um, So thank you for for sharing your work with us today on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, And and as I said, you know, I I just, I am really thankful for educators like yourself who are giving those practical examples of, you know, here's what it looks like when it is integrated throughout the curriculum. And we're not saying, oh, this is a topic just for one time of the year, uh, you know, from one subject area. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.